Welcome to the Everything Sports Podcast with Jay Bandy, where we reveal the little-known secrets of superstar athletes as they leave their glamorous careers behind and return to everyday life. Listen to actionable business tips and life-changing insights from these sporting heroes as they share their epic journeys with you. Now, here's your host, the CEO of Everything Sports, Jay Bandy. Today, I welcome a guy who had a long and distinguished career in the NRL and the English Super League, spanning 15 seasons, playing a total of 173 NRL matches for the Newcastle Knights, Melbourne Storm, and the Penrith Panthers, also playing 100 Super League matches for the whole Kingston Rovers. He has played under some of the greatest coaches in the sport of rugby league and also alongside some of the best rugby league players ever to play the game, current and future immortals. Andrew Johns, Kemmerer Smith, Billy Slater and Greg Inglis. He also represented the United States Rugby League team, playing four matches for the Tomahawks and also one match for New South Wales Country. He was born in the United States, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, due to his dad being on the professional golfing tour and competing in the 1981 US Open. In his junior years, he played rugby league for the Valentine Elibana Junior Rugby League Club in the Newcastle competition. And since retiring from the game, he is now the General Manager of Player Relations for the Rugby League Player Association, the RLPA. It is with great pleasure I welcome Clint Newton. Welcome, Clint. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Thanks for coming on. And son of a professional golfer, Jack Newton, how's your golf game? Mate, it's, Dad always refers to my game as very much as army golf, where it's very <laughs> left, left, right, left, right. But I'm always happy to try and take his money. There's no letting up just because he's got one arm and one eye, let me tell you. I enjoy it. It's good to get out of the golf course when I can get a chance. Very good. Been pretty busy with the RLP. I imagine you wouldn't get too much time these days, but a few charity golf days and stuff like that, I imagine, have a hit in. Yeah, every now and then I get a chance to. I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately I love being outdoors, love playing sports. So when I get an opportunity, I'll grab it. But when golf takes, you know, four or five hours of your time, you know, it, it can be rather challenging, particularly with, Two young daughters and a, and a wife at home. So, yeah. I understand that, mate. I've got three of my own, so I know, yep. where, know where you come from. Oh, you played a couple of games there. What's the state of rugby league over there at the moment? I know there's a bit of drama there at Manly with Darcy leaving and joining the Toronto Wolfpack and Sean Rutchison, the head coach of the USA team over there. What, do you know much about what's going on over there at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I think that what they're, you know, it was obviously a disappointing World Cup for them last year particularly on the back of the previous campaign but you know there was obviously a bit of a change of roster and and whatnot but I think that you know ultimately where that competition needs to get to and and to be honest great level of involvement over there is that they just need to you know galvanize and pull in the same direction because it has been rather fractured over a long period of time and I think the advancement of rugby league in Canada and potentially some new Teams coming into the competition, you know, like New York, New York Syndicate that's put an application in to join the championship or the Division One in the Super League. I think that sort of stuff is great and hopefully that's the catalyst for some much needed change. Oh, good. There's never going to arrival uh, your NFL or basketball or baseball or anything like that, but it, definitely a lot of expats over there and big spectator sport. Obviously, lots of people love the game rugby league and... Hopefully we can get it 
growing over there for sure. Make it a, a world game instead of, you know, the New Zealand, Australia and England, you know. Yeah, oh, I think it's got some great opportunity. I don't think, you know, it's ever going to be a competitor to NFL and basketball and, and baseball, but it can certainly play a role as a substitute. And hopefully one day women over there that don't make professional rosters of, you know, of your NFLs or, you know, don't want to play rugby union, which is considerably strong over there as well. So yeah. I think there's some great opportunity. I just think it's about making sure that, you know, there's a really good strategic plan put in place about how to engage the, the American public and so many, you know, college graduates that don't make it on the roster of NFL team. Oh, very good, mate. Good insight there into the, the state of play over there in the USA in rugby league for the rugby league listeners out there. But just moving into it, mate, Clint, could you share with our listeners why you think transitioning smoothly out of the NRL and public life is so critical? I realise you're still a little bit in the public life there with the RLPA and what you're doing there, but not as much as you used to be when you were an NRL player. It's a tremendously difficult area of professional sport particularly if you don't have the right support systems in place, you know, during and post-career because, you know, overdo it. I, I suppose in, in a lot of aspects, when you go into professional sport and then you remove from professional sport, it certainly feels like there's a part of you that dies inside. For some people and for, I would suggest, all athletes, they do go through some transitional struggles, but, you know, they vary in the impact that it's going to have on their overall well-being but it's such an important part of sport is getting enough things in place and exposing you know all athletes you know not just rugby league that they're passionate about outside of their chosen sport and I think that you know there's now genuine data out there that that will show that the 24-7 athlete is one it's not sustainable and two it's not healthy particularly for the transitioning athlete and because it is a different world to the one that you become accustomed to and ultimately love. So it's critical that we get it right. And athletes and the people around them elevate it to the level that it's required and it's necessary. Yeah, for sure, mate. In episode three with big Josh Stewart, I imagine you run into Josh here and there, but he says that uh, NRL equals not real long and he's pretty true there on the average average is 48 games or something like that so it's it isn't real long for a lot of players the small minority get through past you know 100 150 200 games yeah it is i mean there's some you know statistics out now that obviously that will show that you know the average time of a of a rugby league player now in the professional environment is around six years so when you know you look at the life expectancy of most australians you know, we're living much longer now. So when you subtract, you know, six years from the life expectancy of, you know, say 85 or less, you know, it's a really insignificant amount of time as opposed to what else is going to be happening around you outside of rugby league. But it can play a significant role in, in actually, you know, making your life move from success to significance if you use the time wisely, particularly now. There's a great opportunity now if you come into the professional rugby league environment and even those that don't make the 30 to 36-man roster, there is a, a great deal of support and infrastructure now around that. I mean, is there more work to be done? Of course there is, you know, but we're in a good place at the moment and I think that whilst ever we, we keep valuing, you know, player wellbeing and the holistic development of our people, 
I think that we're going to give people, both men and women now, considering their competition starts at the end of the year, we're going to give them the best opportunity to leave the game better than what they came into it. And that's the most exciting thing from my point of view. That's the aim of everything, I think, whether it be business or a job or anything you're going into, if you can leave it better than when you came into it, yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, well, I think it, it comes back to the legacy piece, I suppose. It's, you know, my father always was very big on it. It's about what you started with, what you finish with, and, and the legacy you leave in between. And, and I think that's really important because you can still have a legacy or leave a legacy in a short amount of time. It just depends on what impact you're generating on an, on other people around you. And if you go in there with a mindset of, yep, I want to be successful, but also I want to help others reach their potential and have success. I think, in my view, I believe that certainly goes a long way to to helping with your transition because you, you actually feel like you've had an impact and you can look back whether those guys continue on playing. You can basically say, you know, I was a part of their development or I helped them or assisted them in reaching some of their goals and, and ultimately their dreams, you know. Yeah, that's it, mate. I think you mentioned it. Just probably getting a bit of different perspective on things. Like, yeah, that's good, mate. But how would you describe the process of transitioning for yourself out of the NRL? Yeah, I mean, it was difficult. It's uh, I don't think it was as difficult as you know what many other professional athletes have gone through. And I, but like I said, there was you know a little part of you even the moment that I announced my retirement, you know, to my family and my team and to the rugby league community, there is a moment of mourning and, and it's not trying to dramatise the situation and, you know, hopefully listeners understand that it's a different type of mourning to losing a family member or being a part of, you know, something unjust. It's it's yeah. just that when something is removed or is going to be removed from your life that has meant so much to you, you do go into it, into mourning. Fortunately enough for me, I, you know, I put some things in place that, you know, long before I announced my retirement. And to be honest, Jay, if you had have wound the clock back and did a survey of the people that I was around at, at 13 when I first started playing rugby league, or quite possibly up to the age of 17 until I made, you know, the Knights jersey flag team, I would suggest there would have probably been my mum and dad and maybe a couple of other people that would have believed in my ability to play rugby league. So yeah. I was a million to one and blowing at 13 to actually play first grade. So it was just the fact that, you know, my transition in, I think, certainly assisted with my transition out because from an early age, I got used to rejection. It was a huge part of my development. And I think that's certainly something that many people need to understand and they need to look at rejection through a different lens because I think the earlier you can get comfortable with rejection, it's not about accepting it and saying, you know, okay, you know, like I'm not going to continue on my pursuit for whatever it is that you're most passionate about. It's actually starting to say, okay, well, you know, work through a process when you get rejected, you know, allow that emotional sting of rejection to pass. And then you have to evaluate, you know, what was said or, you know, what's happened and measure it against the work itself. And and then if, if what was said was valid, you know, you work to address it and you just keep moving forward. I think that too many people give up, you know, at the, the first few hurdles. And for me, you know, I often laugh about it with one of my best mates in Brett Finch where, 
at 13, you know, when we used to travel home together from school and well, I used to go to his parents' place and, and here's the guy that was realistically a superhero in my eyes because he was the best player of our age yep. and here he was, you know, accepting me into his circle and so therefore when I went to training, which can be quite a confronting place for young kids because, you know, realistically your mum and dad and your sister and your brother, they can tell you all, the, all your, till the cows come home that, you know, <laughs> oh, you're doing great and, you know, we love you and you're improving and all that. But it means two parts of stuff all sometimes because yeah. all you want to do is be accepted by your peers. And I think, you know, because I was accepted by some of the best at the time, that actually certainly helped with my progress and my willingness to not give up. But in saying that, when training starts and you get told, right, you're off to third division and Brett and Luke Bird and co, you're off to first division, you know, that's rejection in itself because you're being denied the opportunity realistically to participate in something that you want. You want to be with them. But that just, you know, that just spurs you on to, you know, to get there. But, I mean, I missed out on countless representative sites from the age of probably 15 and 16 and 17. And, and again, I often talk about a scenario where I had half a dozen of my you know, closest friends around. And on this particular day, we were all getting told whether or not we made the, the Hunter Mariners and or, you know, and some of them had already been selected in the Knights. This is back in the Super League days. And yeah. I remember riding my push bike up my parents' long driveway and opening the letter back then you know, there was obviously no emails opening the letter at the top of the driveway and whenever you see the first words thank you it it usually means you you didn't make it and I got awfully used to seeing those two words at the start of most letters that I received at a young age yeah. so and then the bike ride down the hill was quite a sad moment because I knew that I was going to have to face my peers and my mates and say hey I I didn't make it but and all of them did those little moments but they gave me a hug and they said I don't worry about it you know like and that again that that comes back to the you know the circle that you allow around you is going to have a significant difference in how you actually manage those types of rejections and I didn't make any rep teams so from an early age getting used to those rejections of I suppose you could call them, you know, as I said, those gatekeepers helped me have a greater sense of satisfaction when I made it, but it also gave me a greater sense of gratitude on the way out because ultimately I shouldn't have been there if I listened to everyone else in the first place. So that played a crucial role. And if we get to it, you know, I can talk more about the announcement of my retirement and some of the steps that I put in place. Yep. Oh, cool, mate. Uh, just for our listeners out there that you know, had a good support system in place or a good support network in place to help you through that transition is what I'll get out of that. And also, you build up a massive amount of resilience, both self-worth, yeah, you knew kind of who you were and your abilities as a young age, but you didn't give up on your goal and your dream to play in the NRO, which is pretty take that off to you mate it, you know a lot of people do give up and i think a lot of nrl players or that actually even if they play one or two or five unless they're super talented like your you know andrew johns's and your jared haynes and greg inglis's and those type of guys like they got a huge amount of talent a lot of those kind of fringe or 
average NRL players do build that same kind of resilience. And I see that in a lot of blokes that I, or mates of mine and NRL players are renowned for having that resilience and not giving up and you know, not taking no for an answer. You're right, Jay. And I think that the biggest thing is it's about how do you actually define success? And I think that's a really key part, particularly for those players that are and athletes that are transitioning. It's what is success, you know? And again, you know, I think that anyone that says, I have no regrets, I kind of refute those claims, you know, because in my view, I think everyone probably has those little moments in life that they think, well, hey, I I probably shouldn't have done that. And yep, okay, every decision gets you to where you are today. But I think the regrets hurt less if you're prepared to try and teach others and share information because if you place high importance on helping others, potentially offsetting the chances of them making similar mistakes, then that regret has now been turned into a positive and, you know, potentially helps someone take a different path, you know, take the left fork in the road instead of the right. And, you know, your why is so important in that place because if you don't love what you do, then, you know, why the hell are you doing it? You know, why are you here? You know, you're wasting your time and the time of everyone else and time is something you'll never get back. So, you know, make a commitment to either say, right, you know, I'm going to give this a fair crack and do the best I can with what I've got. And if you get to winning Dally M's and playing for Australia and all those types of things, then fantastic. But for me, I'm happy like to say that, yep, would have I loved to have played for Australia? You know, like, would have I loved to have played State of Origin? Bloody oath, I would have. But I wasn't good enough, you know. But but what I am really grateful for is the fact that I played for as long as I did Rugby League's given me pretty much everything I've got in life, provided me with a wife and, you know, two amazing daughters and some fantastic lifelong friends. But it is crucial, you know, and I talk about, like, the bank of resilience. I think the more challenging situations you put yourself in and you put yourself outside of your comfort zone, I think that's really crucial because once you get through those various challenges, it's like you're making a deposit in the bank of resilience. And I think when you go through tough times, you can withdraw from that bank and find yourself coming out of the other side. But if you if you turn and run and don't work through those challenges, then your bank of resilience is you know is going to be naught. Yeah. You're going to be trying to you know make withdrawals, and you're going to have nothing there. Totally agree, mate. That's some great stuff there that our listeners can take away. The bank of resilience is that's a great one, mate. Getting out of your comfort zone, and that's the only way. You- you move forward in life. If you, some people are happy to just to sit in their comfort zone and, and plug along, but if you want to get ahead in life and succeed in certain areas of your life, then definitely get outside your comfort zone and build that bank of resilience. So, mate, some great stuff there. Thanks for that. You've mentioned quite a few of them already, but are there any other things that were important for you to help you through that transition? I know you mentioned resilience inside your comfort zone and your support network and support system. You had anything else there? I think that a couple of things particularly, you know, that really helped with that transition was the fact that outside of my parents, and if you don't, you know, I know not everyone has a really close affinity or relationship with their parents. So if you don't have that, it's about having some mentors in place that, you know, that are genuinely invested in you and are going to invest their time and energy and resources and and in some ways, you know, finances. But, you know, outside of them, I would suggest my accountant was arguably the most important person throughout my career. 
And I can't stress enough that it's too bloody tough to make money in this world and it's far easier to spend it. And I think that by getting those things in place and having the right people around me, particularly with obviously, you know, family, yes, finance, well-being, sport, you know, those types of things, even some mental help. But the finances stuff, it just removes a lot of the stress and a lot of the anxiety around how am I going to survive? Am I going to be able to pay bills? Can I invest in something? Is this the right investment? And therefore, through your career, you can just start to focus on, you know, what's important and that's you, your progression through the ranks and onto being a professional athlete or rugby league player in my case. So when I knew that things were in place there and I could make some investments. So therefore, if my world was to cave in tomorrow, and this is you know back when I was in my early 20s, I knew that I was going to be okay financially because I had put some things in place. You know, with the limited money I got at an early age from rugby league, I, you know, I invested well. I, you know, I stayed at home, which I often copped a fair bit of flack about. <laughs> But, you know, like if you've got the opportunity and you get on well with your parents, it just blows my mind that people want to move. So if you've got an opportunity to stay at home, save money, yes, contribute, you know, to the family where you've got the opportunity. But those types of things, you know, certainly helped. And, yeah. and then at the back end of my career, Jay, I was able to make decisions that were no way connected with financial rewards. I think that's the real challenge for some people is that when you're making decisions about predominantly based on financial gain. I haven't seen too many great outcomes yep. on the back of that because when times get tough, the money that's going into your bank account is not going to actually spur you on to take that extra step or to, to lift that extra rep or to fill the space in the defensive line or make various sacrifices because it's not tangible. Like, yeah, I mean, you can feel it and that, but money has no feeling. Yep. It's the relationships that you have around you that are going to make you those sacrifices. So that helped with my transition when I came back to Newcastle and I was on minimum wage, which was the lowest amount of money that I'd been on probably since of the age of 21. Yep. And I was able to let go of the ego that was attached to money. And I think that's, again, something that you know some professional athletes, they define their worth by their contractual value, and that's a mistake. Because the day you get the tap at the door to say, hey, you know, you're no longer required or, hey, here's a pay cut, it can actually cut quite deep for some athletes. And, you know, I think it's really important to, to not define your success or your self-worth or your worth to a club or an organisation based on your contractual value. That was never going to define my level of investment back into the Knights. I refer to, you know, a really great quote to, you know, during that period where, I made my announcement to retire that the struggle ends when the gratitude begins. And I actually, on the very day that I announced my retirement, I just finished a resilience project. Hugh, who does the resilience project, has been doing some fantastic work, you know, around the country. And he talked a lot about mindfulness, empathy and gratitude. That was a real defining moment, you know, there because it was like, hey, be grateful for what I've had, not what I'm losing. And as you've said, and, you know, here you're about your career and, you know, you're obviously a tremendous player, you know, at a young age. If you're able to play one first grade game or 300, it's just, again, it comes back to being grateful for the opportunity that you were provided. And that really helped 
with my transition out because I started taking mental snapshots on my way out. And yes, I was lucky enough to go out on my own terms. So therefore, anyone that, you know, I would suggest you give yourself time through your career to actually stop, reflect, have a look around, take that mental snapshot, because you never know when the final sort of whistle is going to blow on your career. So I was just sort of really grateful for everything I had and all the relationships that I'd been able to build and forge. And, and I just started to slow everything down when I'd run out of the tunnel at what now is, you know, McDonald Jones Home Stadium and, and that I'd have a look around. You know, I'd look at people's faces. I'd look in the change rooms before we'd run out or after the game. or yeah. And you just take those moments in because they're gone in a blink of an eye. I can't believe that my 15-year career is, is over. And uh, it just happened so fast. You know, the other thing, Jay, that really helped me was I was very focused on community initiatives. I'm very strong with domestic violence through White Ribbon and the Australian Childhood Foundation, which deals with neglected and abused and, and traumatised children. That, again, gives you that sense of gratitude and empathy and mindfulness because I think the more you engage with community, the better perspective it can give you and the better understanding you have of the world around you. And you realise that, you know, when you're playing sport, you have a great opportunity to have a positive impact on society, really, because you've got a better platform than, than the large majority of the population in this country and, you know, around the world. So, and I found that investing in community, it gave me a much more sustainable feeling of adrenaline or, you know, or positive emotions because, you know, a try, when you score a try or you have a good run, it's, it's basically over in a few minutes. And yes, you can reflect on it. But when you've actually had a positive impact on someone's life, for me anyway, it stays with you for days, weeks, months, years, you know, and it's like, you know, gambling. Why do we gamble? Well, you know, you put a bet on, you win, it gives you that instant hit of endorphins and adrenaline. And then you say, well, you know, because it wasn't that meaningful, it's like, well, I want to go again. So I, that was really important to me was the community initiatives and the investment back in, in community. So some more great stuff there that you've just mentioned. The struggle ends when the gratitude begins. Great quote there. And uh, you talked about just then is, you know, getting a different perspective on life, having a positive impact on others and helping others gives you a greater sense of worth and self-confidence and you're putting into others that's some great stuff there that people can take away and hopefully implement in their own lives and and help them through a transition or a challenge or you know someone might have lost their job or my sister-in-law just made redundant on monday actually so people in life go through things but there's things out there that they can draw on from possibly this conversation or other things that can help them through that you know go and help someone you know an elderly mow their lawn or I don't know something there's plenty of stuff out there you can do to help others you know so yeah there's so many opportunities Jay and I think that that's certainly something that you miss as a player and fortunately enough I am still you know heavily involved in those types of things but I think what sport does is it gives you a an opportunity and rugby league particularly is really proactive in the community space and you would remember from your time you know like you're out doing school clinics or you you go into hospital visits or you're feeding the homeless or you're going to you know see a sick kid or you're making someone's day-to-day life better and I think when you are removed from that professional environment I think certainly in my view I think some athletes or players they can be lost you know in that regard because it's like well 
where do I go now? Yep. Like, where do I go to get that high? Yep. And there's probably a little bit of the ego around the fact that I've now retired, so therefore, would someone in hospital want to see me? Yeah. Or would a kid want to know me or whatever? And, you know, I had a big think about it the other day, and uh, when someone asked me about do I miss signing autographs and, and whatnot, and I'd have to say I don't miss the, the signature. I don't miss that. That's not – but on reflection, I actually miss – what the signature meant for that person and the feeling they got on the back of, you know, you or, or others signing something that they really cherish. Mm. So it wasn't the signature, it was the effect that you're having on someone else. And I just think that there's opportunities there. It's just whether or not you actually want to invest the time and the energy to go and look for something to do that's going to help someone else. One of the probably the struggles with transitioning is I, I think that when you've been removed from you know, that environment. And again, because I was so heavily involved in the RLPA on my transition out, my time was starting to be invested in other things outside of rugby league. And it actually took the focus off just playing. And that's where I said earlier about that 24-7 athlete, it just doesn't work. And by investing in things outside of the game, which through the NRL wellbeing education team and, and through the RLPA that obviously assists with all the funding, players are getting educations they are you know going to vocational studies and work placement and they are investing in themselves so therefore they do have a focus outside of it and it's proven now through stats and data that by investing in yourself outside of your sport you know in rugby league particularly based on the information i've seen you're going to play longer you're going to have a greater level of success you're going to be picked in the first team more you're going to have a reduction in the, the possibility of an integrity-related matter you know, coming your way and ultimately you're going to have a happier life. And that's why it is so important of you know, that holistic development. And, and you know, Andrew Ryan does some great work at the moment in the transition space in, in trying to keep those guys engaged and communicate with them you know, on their way out because not everyone does handle it. Alcohol and those types of things also play a pretty significant role in transitioning out and when you're feeling down about something, exposing yourself to those types of things can, you know, escalate the emotions and feelings that you have and, you know, I often say to people, alcohol or illicit drugs or anything, it's it's borrowing happiness from tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's a really important point to think about and if used in the right amounts, you know, having a beer can be great, you know, but if you're going through something, it, it also can have a really negative impact. Yeah, definitely, mate. Something I've picked out of what you've been talking about there and what you've been saying, it, like, take my off to you, a very uh, outward-thinking person. I, I see that, you know, where you've got to today has been a, a reflection on that, I think. Like, it's only my opinion, but they're yeah, very outward-thinking type of person, which is very rare these days, and uh, it's great. Oh, thanks, Jack. You've mentioned a few things there about your retirement, but correct me if I'm wrong, you've signed a contract, as you mentioned there before, to go back to play pretty much reserve grade to lead the young guys through. I know they've had a young team for the last couple of years. Coming to your retirement, your retirement was your own decision. At the end of that, was it a 12-month contract with the Newcastle Knights to help the young guys out? Yeah, basically, you know, when I came back from England and went to Penrith and got the opportunity to be a part of their transformation that they wanted to work through, it was a, It did give me a really good opportunity to, to come back and Phil Gould and Ivan Cleary were always really upfront and honest with me and 
you know, I always respected that. You know, I always knew that my time there was, you know, probably going to be two years and, you know, and get them on the way and, and hopefully put some things in place to various players, I suppose, understand the value of being selfless and having uh, placing a high importance on, you know, accountability and, and togetherness. Yep. And I think that from that point, then I thought, well, I had opportunities to stay and play in Sydney, but it was like, no, home's calling. Just had my first daughter at that time with my wife and, and it was like, no, I want to go back home. Wayne Bennett was interested in signing me and we'd had discussions in previous years, but it just didn't seem to work out. And, and I knew that my role was going to be predominantly playing you know in the state cup and and I was okay with that you know like when people were asking me why would you do that why wouldn't you finish on top like why wouldn't you finish playing first grade at Penrith and having some success there and my response was well what does success look like to you success for me or finishing on top commas, what people used to say to me that's not about winning a premiership yes that is great you know if that if that's how you get to finish awesome fantastic yeah you know, or playing for your country or whatever. But we know that if that is what your level of expectation is when you finish, I would suggest the majority of people are going to be disappointed because (laughs) that's not always how it ends. I mean, realistically, when people would say about, you know, finishing on top, you know, finishing on top for me was was about the impact that I was going to be able to have on, on the younger generation because many people had invested in me when I was that age. Tony Butterfields, your Andrew Johns, your Paul Marquettes, Ben Kennedys, Matty Johns, like all those, you know, they did that for me. So whilst I'm certainly not putting myself in the same calibre as those guys, it was really important for me to do that, you know, and that also was part of my healthy transition out. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your retirement, Clint, and how you come to the decision? Correct me if I'm wrong here, but you returned to Newcastle to help out the young guys with the probably the vision of playing majority of that season in reserve grade to help out those young guys and all those young guys have come through and come on to prominent plays in their NRL team this season, you know, so uh, you've had some impact and some influence on those guys and your retirement, your decision in the end? Probably goes back to, you know, why I came back to Australia in the first place was to you know, help with my transition, you know, because I, I saw that if I was going to stay in England, whilst there was no doubt there was going to be opportunities to do things inside rugby league or out of it, I thought that by coming back to Australia, re-establishing myself, again, developing a bit of a profile and working on my sort of my own brand, linking with foundations or charities that were close to my heart was the best thing for me. And also myself and my English wife, you know, we wanted to start a family and we thought, you know, that was best to go back to England and uh, back to Australia. So when I went to Penrith, obviously, that was a really great opportunity. You know, I was there to sit, you know, to basically assist with their ability to remain consistent, further develop, you know, their culture. And there was some tremendously talented players involved in the, you know, in those two years that I was there. And, you know, however, for various reasons prior to that, they probably weren't state that I would describe as you know best self you know and therefore the frustration there was some fair bit of frustration with the inconsistencies in the in their performances but but it was certainly rewarding to watch many of the rookies and the lesser known players and even the stars from those two years at Penrith go on and achieve some individual success I always valued Ivan and Gus 
in how they worked with me and they always sort of said it was basically going to be for two years and that would be it. They would bring that next crop of talent through, which was fine, you know, but then that allowed me to get ready for, you know, I thought I was only going to come back to Newcastle under Wayne for for one year. We'd had some discussions previously in previous years about coming back and for whatever reasons, you know, it just didn't quite work out. But I saw, saw it as a great opportunity to be play under Wayne and I thought that was a you know a good opportunity to close out my career and you know under a guy that you know arguably one of the best again was very honest with me had no expectations you know on playing first grade whilst I wanted to you know that wasn't the purpose of me rejoining the club you know the purpose was about you know helping some of the next crop of players through and and give back to the club that started me on you know on this amazing journey So therefore, the key for me was to not, you know, as I think I've said earlier, to not allow my sort of contract value to find my level of investment back into the club and the players, you know, because I was on minimum wage or or less than minimum wage and and that was fine. But again, it goes back to my previous conversation, my previous answer. I was able to make that decision based on the decisions I'd made earlier in my career about good investment, saving that sort of having a bit of that financial well-being in place. So to be a part of a, a group that went through to the grand final in State Cup, we didn't win it in 2014, but we were there. We got beat by a very good Penrith side, which you know, <laughs> the clear majority of those guys are playing first grade now and, and flying. That was good. That was a bit of a bittersweet moment for me. Like <laughs> I wanted to win for my club, but <clears throat> getting beat by Penrith, uh, you know, after just being there the previous year was also rewarding. And then I thought that was going to be it. And Matt Gidley asked whether I wanted to go around again. And, and my body was still in, you know, reasonable shape. And, you know, I thought, why not? Again, was able to give me, give myself more time to get ready for transitioning out. I got more heavily involved with the RLPA. And so that was sort of taking my focus off, you know, just playing football you know my daughter was was one you know obviously going in turning two at the end of 2015 and and again to be a part of that squad to go on to the grand final again as captain and but also playing you know a dozen first grade games under Bedsy and finishing my career there in first grade you know that was certainly a highlight as well and then to go back and play state cup and take the boys into the grand final again, win it this year against a much stronger Wyong side and when our average age was 19, I was 34. Mm-hmm. A lot of these guys were basically still getting their nappies changed when I first started my career. And so, I mean, that was, you know, really a defining moment, you know, in my career and, and part of that sort of legacy that I wanted to try and leave was assisting these guys in their advancement forward for their professional careers. And, and getting us being a part of a team that we used like 50 odd guys that year in state cup yep. and uh, each one of them played their role in getting us there and and then playing on the biggest stage of all you know prior to the to the grand final the broncos cowboys grand final some of those guys will never play in a 100,000 seat stadium you know ever again and so to be a part of that whilst we didn't win that didn't define success success for me was getting there you know because again it it was about where did we start and then where did we finish and that was certainly something that I was incredibly proud of and in the June of that year I you know announced that I'd retire and that really sort of made a really meaningful 
last sort of three months. So you did get your fairy tale finish in the end, winning a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Being selfless, I guess, and things coming back for everything you've put out there. I think things come back. I see that as a you know, fairy tale for yourself from an outsider. Yeah, it, well, it was Jay. I mean, I put that grand final win in state cup like right up there with you know winning the premiership for Melbourne. Yep. Many people would say, you know, like, you know, finish on top and finishing on top for them is playing for their country and state of origin or, you know, like retiring in a grand final win. For me, winning premiership in state cup and taking being the captain that took those guys into the national grand final against Ipswich, that was finishing on top yeah. for me. That was fantastic. You know, it makes me smile to this day Good. thinking about, you know, that journey. Awesome, mate. There's some great stuff there. And uh, being selfless, I think, yeah, as I said just before, you know, if you what you put out there comes back. So just to finish up, a couple more questions. Were there any books or events or movies or courses or anything that you did that had a, an impact on your uh, transition, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think from an early age, I was never a good reader. I was also a terrible speller yep. and at school. And I always had a real thirst for learning. As a young guy, like, yeah, you've just got different learning styles and sitting in a classroom for me eight hours a day doing lots of reading and, and whatnot was not how I was going to learn. I, you, know, I, you know, I learn by feel and I learn by doing and, you know, I have to be passionate about something but certainly played a role. But I was always really curious. I asked a lot of questions as the listeners will probably see here and don't mind a chat. So I think one of the real key quotes, you know, that I you know often talk about and, and think about is, you know, stay hungry and stay foolish. And I think that whenever you've got an attitude of being an observer and being curious, it provides you with perspective. You should never let anyone strip away your curiosity. Yep. So that's when you know, I started to read more books and, you know, asking questions and putting myself in uncomfortable positions with people that were far more intelligent than I was. And as I say, if you're the most intelligent person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. I always had this, you know, childlike behaviour with regards to, you know, my level of curiosity. Putting myself in those situations where I wanted to keep learning was, was so crucial. But I suppose in recent times, the two best books I've read in the last couple of years is The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. It's a wonderful book. It's just about really working through the five laws of success and with regards to giving back, having that servant-type mentality, that servant leadership, but also being very receptive to receiving. I think a lot of people get caught up in it's better to give than receive and probably have to call bullshit on that. I think that if you've got to be prepared to receive and be comfortable with that. I think there's a difference between using someone and abusing your level of authority or, or level of influence over someone. Yep. But be content with receiving from other people. I mean, if they're prepared to give, you know, give, I mean, obviously you've got to manage the various situations that yep. uh, where people give you stuff and potentially the hidden agendas. But I think that's really important. So uh, go give a by Bob Berg and a good friend of mine, Bradley Charles Stubbs, who's a, he's known as the coach whisperer. He passed that on to me and he really challenged my thinking oh, around a number of different things. And probably the other one is David and Goliath, 
by Malcolm Goldwell, and it's just about underdogs and the different level of perspective that it can provide when your back's against the wall and the opportunities that can present themselves if you look through the right lens and, and how many successful people or many situations actually come through struggle. But it's just about, you know, how you push on and work through those and, and ultimately, you know, be, be bold, be brave and, and make an impact. Some awesome stuff there, mate. We've got lots of uh, info for the listeners. And just to finish off, how do our listeners find out more about you? And is there anything you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Obviously, I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and, and whatnot. But um, depending on what the situation is, I'm, I'm happy to try and help. And, you know, when time permits, I think probably the, you know, the final thing that I would have to say is I think some people get caught up in trying to change the world and that can be seem quite daunting. But, you know, I think if you try and think about changing how the world operates, you know, and helping others, you know, transform. And I just think that the impact that you have on others and, and the effect you have on others is just the most valuable currency there is. And if we have that mindset, then I think really good things can happen and, and don't be a part of the, this blame-driven society where, you know, it's take your responsibility back and, and when you're blaming others, you start thinking options are not available, but they are. They're in front of you and we create our own world. I think that's really important. Don't blame others and accepting responsibility for where you are and, and your situation and everything that's got you there and, well, that's great. Just a little recap, great things that I've got out of what we've talked about today is resilience, being uh, very given, helping others, getting a perspective on life, your struggles, and, and being resilient. Yeah, probably one of the big things, resilience and giving, is what we've got out of today. I really appreciate your time there, Clint, and good luck in your role there at the RLPA, and I'm sure it, you're going to be successful there in what you're doing and with the perspective on life and everything you've given us here today so just really appreciate that and thanks again clint yeah not a problem jay and wish you all the very best and listeners have got something out of it thanks mate thank you for listening to the everything sports podcast the podcast which consistently provides actionable business tips and life-changing insights from high performance athletes You can access all the information related to this episode via the show notes at www.everythingsports.com slash podcast. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Jay will answer in upcoming episodes. How can Jay help you today?